Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy, happy Monday, everybody. I hope y'all are doing amazing and fantabulous here on this Monday, July 19th. We got a fun show planned for you today here. We've got some baseball talk coming up. I want to get to the Atlanta Braves. I want to get to some trade deadline talk. Real baseball. Because you know what? Baseball has been the interest of my weekend, as well as uh, our buddy Colin Morikawa winning his second major in eight tries at 24 years old. I love Gen Z athletes being stars of sports now. So Colin Morikawa was also consuming my focus this weekend. But I don't have much to say on Colin Morikawa other than dominating a sport as a Gen Z star. There's only a few of them right now, and and we're going to be introduced to a bunch of them with the Olympics coming up, at at least for people who do really care about the Olympics. Um, The Olympics, I I heard Bomani Jones say this a a couple days ago, the Olympics are are sports for people who don't really watch sports, and I've always found the charm of the Olympics to be quite strange and antiquated. Um, Even going back to 2016, where I would watch the Olympics a bunch just because everyone watched the Olympics. Even then, I found myself struggling to retain interest by about like day five and week two of the Olympics. And so the Olympics are, are an opportunity to be introduced to some Gen Z superstars. And, you know, we've got a few in Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, um, Zion Williamson's on his way there, and Colin Morikawa is golf's version of a Gen Z superstar. Fernando Tatis Jr. is that in baseball. There's a few Gen Z superstars that exist right now, and I'm always fascinated by that idea, even if they're probably a generation older than me, except for Simone Biles. I think Simone Biles is about the same age as me, if I remember correctly. Uh, Simone Biles is... No, Simone Biles is 24. Uh, I had that off. I, for some reason, I had her being like 17 when she went to the Olympics in 2016, but she would have been 19 then and 24 now. 24 is old for a gymnast. I think that's kind of why people are surprised that she's still going to the Olympics this year and doing Facebook documentaries that you can see advertised all over NBC for the next few days. So... I am fascinated by this idea of Gen Z superstars. And that's actually, let's start off there for today. Just for, you know, a little A block segment talking about Gen Z superstars. Even if, you know, I kind of look at generations that are like 15 years apart. And the idea that I relate to a 10-year-old and a 28-year-old is a little bit strange to me. And so like in basketball and really baseball and football and most sports based on when the primes of their athletic abilities are, 
you know, generations, each generation kind of has like three sub generations within each. What is your like physical prime and what stage of life are you at now? Because I think 15 years is a long life stage, but I think within five years, a lot of your life is changing. Heck, <laughs> we just had our five year anniversary of uh, comical sports memes yesterday and I was getting nostalgic a little bit and celebrating that. And it was it was something that was kind of strange and it it was strange to see that five year anniversary. Cause I realized like, dang, that's 25% of my life. That's a damn half decade of my life. And five years I've noticed that my life is like, you know, especially at a time where I was a, you know, going into the 10th grade and now here I am a second year in, in college and, well, just finishing my second year of college, going into my third year of college and looking up and seeing, hey, my life is like black and white, night and day. Um, I need better comparisons other than just dark and light. Um, my my life has totally flipped over and over or flipped over and over and over again is actually like a real way of putting it, like with the major life changes that you have just being 20 years old and you know, my life has changed a lot in five years. So I'd say like people who are 15 now, I assume there's no different that people who are 15 now are going to look a lot different when they're 20. And so they, they have different sub generations within each. Heck, I was watching Space Jam yesterday and we'll have our obligatory Space Jam review um, because it's Space Jam and I've been alive long enough where there hasn't been a Space Jam movie in my lifetime. So, you know what, LeBron James, thank you for putting this together. Even if, even if it ends up being bad or good, which we'll talk about in a little bit, thank you for putting this together, uh, for putting together a Space Jam movie, uh, even if it was a giant commercial for his stuff. Anyways, so what I was saying before then is like generation, I was watching Space Jam and all of a sudden I noticed the generational difference right in the movie. Like, hey, kids now are obviously one, the technology to make the movie is totally different, but two kids now really, really enjoy uh, the the video game aspect of the movie, or at the very least, they the writers did their best to try and like understand what 10-year-old kids are really interested in now. And so that was a cool way of going about that movie. And it reminded me that, you know, even if they're all Gen Z, there's some generational differences between the the few people that we're talking about, even LeBron's kids or the ones who portray LeBron's kids in the movie The, you know, at the time, 14 year old Bronny and 12 year old Bryce, even they've got some, some differences in there as I probably do with my brother. Maybe they're not as prominent because, you know, we grew up around the same time with similar type interests, but still it's, there, there are some differences even within generations, but still at the same time, seeing people who are, you know, older Gen Z, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, most of my friends are that age. They're people that I can relate to at the very least, just being a young person. Um, so to that point, it's always interesting to see Gen Z superstars come up. And obviously Naomi Osaka and Shakiri Richardson have been in the news for, you know, whether it's issues of mental health or normalizing marijuana use, which has pretty much been done in California. I mean, it's not, <laughs> we're not Oregon, but uh, there is a certain point where you look up and say that, you know, this is a normalized thing in America because of, you know, 50 years of pushing for that to happen and 1990s and into the 2000s where, you really started seeing momentum within legislation where this could be a, a, an actual, um, you know, politically beneficial stance to move towards legalizing recreational marijuana use and changing the cultural stigma around it, moving it into the political spectrum. And even if the rest of the world isn't at that point, Shakiri Richardson has, you know, been an adult about it while other people want to scream and yell on both sides of it. Shakiri Richardson has been an adult and said, yeah, you know what? I did this and that's what the rule says. And it's pretty clear. And 
even if other countries, you know, she hasn't said this, but even if other countries haven't had the same sort of social progress around marijuana use, um, it, culturally, it's still like a, even if it's not a performance enhancer and all the science knows that it's not a performance enhancer, still you can look up and you can look up and see that it's, she, she looks up and said, you know what? I messed up and she took responsibility for it. And you know what, in, in all honesty, I think it ends up being somewhat beneficial to her. Yes. She's not going to get to go to the Olympics, but now all of a sudden she ends up becoming a story for two weeks in the mainstream. And, you know, we, maybe we would have learned about Shakiri Richardson at the Olympics, but you know, she still got that once every four years moment in the limelight, even if it wasn't the way that she had intended for it. Probably, you know, it's a small consolation thinking about it when, you know, she's 21 years old, went to LSU, one of the best track stars in the country. Like, again, it's it's small potatoes, but somewhat of a consolation prize is the the national attention there. And anyways, we got a little sidetracked there, but with her and Naomi Osaka being in the news, everything I've heard feels like a lot of old people yelling about kids these days, whether it be around marijuana use, which is really, it's not just a, a issue for kids now. It's just that we're the first generation that's grown up in a world that at least has a pretty significant semblance of the population, just, you know, marijuana not being a weird thing. Like, you know, there's dispensaries down the block from where I live in California. Like it's at the very least part of that might just be where I grew up, but you still have a generation where that's not anything that's like really weird or something that's like taboo to talk about. Um, even if it was when you were like nine, 10, but you don't understand what drugs are when you're nine, 10. Um, even if you end up using like vapes at seventh and eighth grade, which I was having this conversation yesterday about literally knowing kids in like seventh and eighth grade who, who did vapes when I was in, you know, ninth, 10th grade, but not recognizing it when I was in seventh grade because of, you know, a little naive, um, not that I wasn't naive in ninth and 10th grade, but a little naive to that idea. Um, even if you do, you don't really like know that deeply about it. So there is a little bit of a stigma around it, but I mean, I've grown up, grown up basically in a, world where that hasn't necessarily been stigmatized and at least i have the open-minded open-mindedness to at least not have it be a problem at least not have the the generational tribalism that still makes people weird when it comes to marijuana at least on part of it and the same thing is true with mental health where i think mental health issues have started to be destigmatized for a generation at least comparatively to 10, 15 years before, which I guess would technically be like late millennial, middle millennial, and early millennial, who's now like 35, 36. Um, I think uh, geriatric millennial is the term for uh, people born like 1984 to 1988, where they're like older millennial now, but also part Gen Z and, you know, headed into their 40s. But Still, I think that there's been mental health stigmas that have been destigmatized, at least in some percentage. Like, it's it's an infinite game where it's not perfect, but it's still a goal that's being pursued. And I think both of them being in the limelight, and Fernando Tatis is a different reason, because Fernando Tatis is this idea of bringing fun and, and creativity and character to a sport where it lacks that which can be an embodiment of tribalist, you know, America where corporate side is like, put your head down. Don't, don't do anything that will mess up the money or don't do anything that will, you know, create a problem with your employer. Shall we say, don't do anything to show personality. Don't do anything to mess up the money, which is a very baseball idea, but it's also a very corporate idea. I think baseball is very much in that camp because comparatively it's not a total black and white situation, but comparatively baseball lacks diversity, um, in race, gender. Um, I mean, you could get uh, the, the overall point being baseball. I mean, you can go to sexual orientation, but I think all sports are kind of behind on that. 
Um, but baseball kind of finds themselves behind the curve. Also religion at the same time, baseball um, probably falls behind the curve there, but that plays into race a bit. But anyways, the point being baseball falls behind on other sports around that. And Fernando Tatis is destigmatizing just character and personality in baseball, which is not exactly a Gen Z thing. I think it's just a young person thing and every generation is bucking against tribalism in that way where it's, it's a push pull of, you know, how much personality do we give in? So I don't think the Tatis situation is Gen Z unique. I think it's just young people unique. Um, but with Osaka and Shakiri Richardson, these are very like Gen Z specific issues that we're battling. And Simone Biles to another extent is kind of in that same camp um, where Simone Biles is talking about her issues with mental health. And of course, gymnastics went through the Larry Nasser trial and she was a, a part of that and the sexual abuse that was endured for years within USA Gymnastics. And all of that ends up being a new difficult issue to, to counter, which is with Osaka and Simone Biles, not just with sexual abuse, but with uh, mental health too. Um, it's an issue that we navigate where, you know, we've destigmatized talking about a lot of these issues. And again, like I said, it's not perfect. It's a sliding scale. We're never going to be perfect on it, but with each generation we get to, with each generation that grows up or each group of people that decide I'm ready to grow up and actually have serious conversations around these things, all of a sudden we start to destigmatize these conversations for the better. And it's never going to be perfect, but if you can narrow it down 20% or 30% across generations, like it, it does take generations for some of these things to change. That's the argument I bring up all the time when it comes to immigration, which is, you know, it's if you want to see it for people who complain that they, they are un-American people, first of all, it's un-American to not allow people to come into the country at pretty much ad nauseum because this is supposed that's what this idea is supposed to be is not limiting opportunity and sentencing people to death by just saying it's not our problem you know look the other way on people being killed um, which is a you know plays into what's going on in cuba right now with wet foot dry foot and syrian refugees where <laughs> we basically like we basically just had a bar of syrian refugees back in 2015 um, which, you know, in, in hindsight is going to go down as one of the most atrocious choices and atrocious events in American history. Uh, history will not look very well upon that. But it's the same idea where it's going to take generations to see some level of change. It's going to take generations for a Colin Morikawa, who is half uh, Chinese and half Japanese American, um, who, you know, he's a... He's, for he's people in golf confuse him all the time as an Asian when he's Asian American. He's from Los Angeles. And, you know, if in the way that people listen to people from other countries, he doesn't, he speaks English. He speaks just like I would sound like a guy from Los Angeles, from Southern California. And people maybe would be caught off guard by that. I think in golf, this has definitely happened, at least based on some social media reaction and just generally the people who I think gravitate towards golf, even young people who gravitate towards golf and the tribalism of golf's revival because young people really like the idea of having a sanctity where they can hang out with their predominantly white friends, not going to say all white friends, but predominantly white friends, drink beer and listen to music, like this sanctity that golf provides of an escape from whatever changing world is going on or, or whatever they perceive the changing world to be. Cause I know different States have different levels of change. And so Colin Morikawa ends up being someone who you look up and be like, no, he's an American. And you can see across generations how, when someone is born in Los Angeles, grows up, in, a, in an ethnically diverse school and gets open to all sorts of new opportunities, then all of a sudden they become whatever you want to call a typical American. 
Um, at least that's the cliche way of phrasing it, even though I'll argue immigrants are typical Americans. It's just a different version of it that people aren't used to yet. Um, with the, you know, people want to talk about assimilation a lot in that way. And so Gen Z is becoming a vocal point for all of these different issues. And I didn't think I would spend 20 minutes talking about this, but I just realized, man, this is really, really freaking interesting. At least as interesting as talking about the Atlanta Braves, which I do want to talk about next. Um, and the way I actually will transition here, uh, I don't really have a grandiose conclusion to this. I just, I'm really interested to see Gen Z stars become athletes. And we got another one of those this weekend in Colin Morikawa and yeah, that's well. Also, with Tatis, there was the shooting at um, there was the shooting at the stadium in Washington, and all of a sudden, you hear like Fernando Tatis is grabbing family to pull down into the stands, but it's not his family; it's just a baseball family and people who you know we wanted protection because the shooting occurred down the third baseline, and they shut down the game even though the shooting was outside the stadium and everyone was like piling into the dugout for protection and kids were, you know, there was a tweet that I read that was um, someone talking about their son was there and they said, I'm too young to die, which, you know, when, when you hear gunshots go off in the general direction, all of a sudden, of course, you start to think the worst. You start to, you know, think that you're in, in a blink of an eye, you're not going to be alive anymore because they're, you know, flying in all sorts of random directions. And, it's it's horrifying and for fernando tatis to be someone who becomes the the leader around this issue or at least someone who you can look up and point to and say wow this is a fantastic story even if it's like a, a regular shooting in washington on a you know saturday night it's still something that when you have people in that vicinity of course it's horrifying i empathize with that feeling because i would be petrified too in that circumstance. Hell, I was petrified when there was that report in Colorado that there was a, uh, you know, a thousand rounds of ammo found at, um, found at a hotel next to the stadium. And then knowing that I was going to be flying in the next day, it was like, oh my God, that is horrifying. And I, I was like, a, you know, 800 miles away and you feel that fear. So I can't even imagine what it's like being 800 yards away from that moment or walking by that scene and seeing that. So of course there is a, you know, there's a, a, a big, there's a story this weekend around Fernando Tatis Jr. And there's, you know, all sorts of interesting stories as Gen Z slowly starts to come to power. We're seeing the first wave of young people who are, you know, the, the lottery tickets of lottery tickets, like the one in a billion stars who are, all of a sudden in, in the sports world, establishing Gen Z with, you know, within some sort of mainstream where Naomi Osaka is the best tennis player, female tennis player in the world. And, you know, Zion Williamson is slowly becoming the best basketball player in the world. And Fernando Tatis is becoming the best baseball player in the world. And Colin Morikawa is the number four ranked golfer in the world. who's won two majors in the last 12 months. And, all of it is slowly coming to a head for Gen Z, and it's really cool to see more Gen Z superstars begin to establish themselves within this mainstream or whatever we want to call it, at least within uh, the, the cultural precipice of America, because you can see just how people change across generations when exposed to new ideas and entering with an open mind is people can be quite strong compared to their previous generation, as we saw within the George Floyd protests last summer on a grandiose scale where they're mostly led by young people. By the way, if you want a great movie around that, I recommend uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I finally got around to watching it a couple weeks ago. No, that was actually last week, like 10 days ago, I got around to watching it. Highly recommend. It is an excellent story that still applies to today about the idea of young people uh, being threatening to an older generation just because they have different ideas. And sometimes change can be scary, especially when 
people have decided that they've become formed in their ways and they've done their learning. And at this point, they're ready to age gracefully into the, the second half of their lives or whatever enjoyment they get from the second half of their fully formed lives. So I would recommend that and recommend Space Jam, which we'll get to here at some point today. But let's talk about the Atlanta Braves right now. And this clip is, I wanted to start off with a five minute clip from last Thursday because I thought this was really good. So this is from the DSD podcast, which you can check out with myself and our buddy Cam from Daily Sports Dosage, twice weekly, available wherever it is that you get podcasts. Just look up the DSD podcast or find the link on our Instagram. This is a conversation I had around Ronald Acuna Jr., um, and his injury from last Friday uh, or last Saturday. I think it was last Friday was when Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, had a complete tear of his ACL, ending his season for the Atlanta Braves. Yes, I was amazed. I was like, dang, I never even talked about Ronald Acuna because it happened on a Friday and then we didn't do a podcast till Monday and it was an NBA Finals reaction and like, I didn't even yeah. get a chance to talk about Ronald Acuna. Like it is. All right, we'll give you the floor. Talk about <laughs> it. Yes. Me going nerdy about baseball. So um, last year, the Atlanta Braves in that truncated season had a three, one lead on the Dodgers that they ended up blowing. And in that moment, I basically felt like, Oh, that's their best chance to win because the Braves for years now. So the Braves were truly terrible for years and years. Like they, they went, you know, 17 straight playoff appearances, won a World Series in 95. They made the playoffs for like a decade and a half straight. And then they finally, like Chipper Jones retired and they looked around. They're like, okay, we are a shell of ourselves. And they were, they were bad for a while. And the Braves made a, a magical playoff run in 2018 where Ronald Acuna hit, was a rookie and hit a grand slam against Clayton Kershaw and they they didn't have any chance of beating the Dodgers but it was still like a magical 2018 run that the Braves had and then in 2019 they got better and they won the division handily and they were the two seed and hosted a playoff series against the Cardinals and they it's best of five in the first round and the Cardinals scored in a game five winner go home the Cardinals scored 10 runs in the first inning against the Braves like just smacked the Atlanta Braves to knock him out of the playoffs and it was like a total disappointment for the Braves that they didn't make the league championship series as one of the like three best records in baseball that season like it was a total disappointment for them and the Cardinals got swept out in the next round by the Nationals who the Braves knew they could have beat if they had gotten to the CS and so the next year, they get to the CS, they smack around the Dodgers, and then the Dodgers come back and beat them. And all of a sudden, you start to feel that window closing. Because if you're not the Dodgers, if you're not the Astros, if you're not the Yankees, if you're not the Red Sox, where you have a combination of tons of money and like a lot of young talent through your farm system, it's really hard to stay relevant for longer than like a couple years at a time. My Padres are going through that right now. Like we've been good two years and it already starting to feel like our window is closing. Like it's, it, it's so hard to stay relevant in baseball and the Braves are feeling the brunt of that right now. Cause they were the wonder team. They had three of the best young players in baseball. They had MVP, Freddie Freeman. They had MVP or Cy Young, Julio Tehran. Like they were super fun, super interesting and had three Acuna, Ozzy Albies and uh, Mike Soroka, the pitcher were three of the most fascinating players in baseball. And Soroka's had two straight season ending injuries. And now the Braves are find themselves in third place in the National League East, and they just lost Ronald Acuna to a brutal injury, just like a complete tear of his ACL. He, he'll maybe be back for the start of next season, like just a brutal injury to happen to the Braves, and it kind of signifies windows closing, and I don't think it's been as obvious as that one, which really sucks for the Braves because they are going to go down as a disappointment across the last three years. 
with all the success that they, all the young talent, the MVP Freddie Freeman, having Marcelo Zuna, then Marcelo Zuna getting basically kicked out of baseball for some really like bad, egregious stuff. For all of the success they had, it's going to go down as a bitter disappointment for the Braves because, you know, the Mets are the Mets are pretty good. That division kind of sucks as a whole, but you look up at the Braves and it's like even in the even in success for the Braves, even if they were to win the division, the Dodgers, the Padres, the I mean the Brewers right now have been weirdly good because they have they have like the twenty seventh ranked offense in baseball, but also like had four pitchers make the All Star team, so they're running away with their division. Like you look up for the Braves and you're just like it feels like thing. Uh, even the Giants, I'll give the Giants some love too. Uh, even reluctantly give San Francisco some love. Like it. You look up for the Braves and it's like, okay, this window is starting to close and we have to, like the Cubs, kind of figure out how we navigate this new like team that's good enough to be above 500 but not good enough to win anything. And it really sucks for the Braves because a window closing on like a catastrophic injury like that is obviously tough to see. One of the things that's most interesting about that conversation was that in the time since we talked about Ronald Acuna Jr., which was on the DSD podcast last Thursday morning, since then, the Atlanta Braves have become the early buyer at the trade deadline in Major League Baseball, despite the fact they have a 6.7% chance to make the playoffs. Their one path to the playoffs is by winning the National League East because they find themselves, I believe, six and a half games out of the wild card right now. Um, The Atlanta Braves are eight games out of the wild card after this weekend. So the Braves find themselves eight games out of the wild card and four games out of the division, two behind the Phillies. And they have have the best run differential in the division, uh, but they find themselves four games out of the division, which would be the three seed, uh, because the NL East is the worst division in baseball right now. Um, close second being the, the American League Central, but it is the worst division in baseball right now. And the Atlanta Braves are two games below 500, but they've acquired Jock Peterson from the Chicago Cubs, and they've traded for Stephen Vogt from the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we'll have a trade deadline special show coming up and all kinds of fun stuff. But what's most fascinating is the... What's most fascinating about the Braves buying is that there were rumors that they might actually then turn into sell mode, which would be really a bit of a, like a, a, a an M. Night Shyamalan-like plot twist. And the Braves end up all of a sudden being sellers after buying, being the first buyers at the deadline. Now, Jock Peterson and Steven Vogt are not like sh- generation-shattering trades. Like they're just small pieces in addition. They gave up one prospect for each of them. Uh, and, you know, Peterson can be the hole left by Ronald Acuna Jr. that was being filled by Erie Adrianza, who I forgot was still in baseball. He was on the Twins for like five years, but I forgot Erie Adrianza still played, but he was their leadoff hitter the other day. And I was confused <laughs> that he was their leadoff hitter. But then I was like, ah, oh, that's right. No more Ronald. No more Ronald Acuna Jr. And so. The Atlanta Braves end up being buyers in the aftermath of this, and this just makes this Ronald Acuna Jr. situation even more interesting. With windows closing, but still trying to pin some pieces together, and you know they're not going to be massive sellers at the deadline, but like the New York Yankees. I was listening to Ken Rosenthal talk about the New York Yankees and saying that the Yankees might be buyers, but for 2022, given that the Yankees, like the Braves, the Yankees window is closing too, where they are... Right now, the Yankees are three and a half games out of the wild card. They have a minus 14 run differential this year, which, oh, I'm sorry, they have a plus seven run differential. Cleveland has a minus 14 run differential, which, you know, I talked about this on DSD. It's going to be difficult for the Yankees to come back, but not impossible. It's not impossible for the Yankees to climb back in that wild card race, but it's going to be really freaking hard. For the Yankees to climb back seven games out of the division when all the teams in the division have higher run differentials than the Yankees and being 
three and a half out of a deep wild card in the American League um, with Oakland and Toronto and Seattle, who should probably regress at some point, and Cleveland, who's four games above 500. It's a really, really deep wild card right now. So the Yankees are in the same situation as the Braves, where how do you how do you come to terms with being a really talented team, but only having a 10% chance at making the playoffs for the Cubs? It's trade everyone because most of them are going to be free agents at the end of the year. And you have to get something in exchange for them because otherwise you're going to be terrible for like five years trying to rebuild your farm system. But for the Braves and Yankees who feel like even if they don't make the playoffs this year, they've still got a chance next year when, you know, everyone gets healthy and, they get their MVPs playing like MVPs again and all that stuff. How do you go about that? It's a very tricky line to navigate. So even since we talked about the Brave situation, it only gets even more interesting as we find ourselves 12 days out from the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Yes, sir. Y'all knew we had to get that Space Jam review in here before we finish today's podcast on a Monday. By the way, that song was See Me Fly by Chance the Rapper, John Legend, and Simba. And it is the intro song for the movie when they do the the montage of LeBron James becoming LeBron James. Um, I just got to say, like, so the space, the original Space Jam soundtrack was excellent. Um, like three all time favorites in that with I believe I can fly and the fly like an eagle song. Uh, the actually the original Space Jam theme song. All of it was excellent. I have to say they went all out on the the new Space Jam uh, soundtrack. And yeah, they, they came through big. Uh, they got Lil Baby, 24K Golden, John Legend did a couple, Jonas Brothers were in there. Uh, Dame Dalla even did the one that he introduced when his character came in with g Easy and P-Lo. Like that was a great song. They got Leon Bridges to do the closing song. Anthony Ramos, who played Speedy Gonzalez, he did a song like they got some good people to do the soundtrack. Those are just a few of them, by the way. They got Corday, they got Brockhampton, like they got a ton of people in there who did one. Caesar did one. Like they got all kinds of people doing this uh, this soundtrack for Space Jam. So soundtrack excellent uh, from the new Space Jam from the new Space Jam movie. And again, the rest of this might be spoilers. I'm going to try and talk about the movie without doing any spoilers, but again, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you want to finish the podcast here, finish the podcast here. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't think I'm going to spoil anything, even though, come on, you kind of know how the movie goes, right? You kind of know how the movie goes. If you've seen the original you kind of know how the movie goes. But again, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Cannot say it enough. This is a spoiler alert. Okay. Now. Spoiler alert. Anyways, so back to the regularly scheduled programming. So the movie, coming into the movie... I had expectations that this would be similar to The Last Dance where and the original Space Jam where, you know, a lot of it is a commercial to sell Nike. A lot of it is a commercial to sell Hanes, uh, to sell Gatorade, to sell all the products Michael Jordan was endorsing. And I was interested to see whether Space Jam went that route or not, whether it became a Nike advertisement or a LeBron James advertisement for uh, more than that. But by the way, they did... They had some lines in there that were uh, 
<laughs> that felt like they were playing up LeBron quite a bit. <laughs> where I was like, okay, I get it. It is LeBron James. And for a larger audience, you do kind of have to establish like what LeBron James is, but he's also maybe the most famous person on the planet. So anyways, LeBron James goes through the same Space Jam plotline to get to a giant basketball game that's also a video game because it's not actually basketball. It's just a video game. And the scoring is very confusing because it's a video game. And again, for people who thought it was going to be like the first Space Jam, I say this with all movies that are made like as, you know, for nostalgia factor, which is basically all this was, was just nostalgia factor. Um, I do, by the way, love the Michael Jordan cameo in the movie. It was an excellent addition that they added to it. Um, I, I give them a lot of credit for that, uh, the Michael Jordan cameo. But anyways, so they had to get to get to when you're given like the baseline plot of it, like when it's all nostalgia factor and you're given the baseline plot, the graphics are going to be totally different. The movie is going to be totally different because we have 25 years of technology to build this with, with green screening and animations. We have 25 years of editing software to work with compared to the first movie. This happened with Bad Boys for Life, where people were like, this was garbage. I was like, that's just that's what they're working with. It's not going to be like the, the 2004 movie. It's going to be a lot of green screen animations. It's going to be a lot of blood and gore because we have the capability to do that in technology now. So to that point, of course, the animations were going to be totally different and live action. Um, they totally, one thing I would like the, first of all, the plot line was bad. It's great message, great message. Like more parents should do what they were talking about in the movie, but they, it's hard to relate to LeBron James, just like it was hard to relate to Michael Jordan. Like they had Michael Jordan out on the golf course and getting swallowed into a golf hole in the original movie. So it's obviously hard to relate to LeBron James, but I will say they did an adequate job of doing it. It was a really hard task to do to relate people to LeBron James, and they did an adequate job at doing it. So I will give them that. They did an adequate job of relating the plot line. They they, they just had to get to the, the basketball game part, and it was, again, weird plot line. I'll give them that, but I do acknowledge that they did at least point out that like Looney Tunes built Warner Brothers. Because the other part was that as much as this was an advertisement for LeBron James, it was also an advertisement for Warner Brothers. And while I admit that, you know, Looney, they did acknowledge that while Looney Tunes built Warner Brothers, the Looney Tunes are kind of the rejects now of Warner Brothers. Looney Tunes is not on TV anymore. Yes, they're making like cartoons around Looney Tunes on like 630 blocks of Cartoon Network, but Looney Tunes is not really a thing anymore generationally looney tunes has kind of faded with you know about four generations of people like looney tunes were cool for maybe the parents of kids but for you know being 20 years old of course i know the looney tunes but i know it from like looney tunes back in action movies which again they kind of were okay but they that was their like last grasp of reviving the looney tunes and after that they kind of just bailed because they're not cartoons anymore and so they acknowledged it in the movie, like, yeah, Looney Tunes are kind of dead. And it's, again, they, it was a nostalgia factor in going back 30 years. But they did a good job at that of being like, look, the Looney Tunes are kind of the rejects. And Toon World is the the rejects of, of Warner Brothers at this point, even though they built the Warner Brothers back in the 1930s. It's just not interesting anymore. And Warner Brothers has... Game of Thrones over here and Harry Potter over here and all the different properties that they had, like King Kong and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, it was a it was a again, they had to get to the basketball game. They did an adequate job of doing the plot line. The plot line was kind of terrible. But again, the whole plot line is Looney Tunes are playing a bunch of monsters in a basketball game. It's pretty hard to get to that point. And again, they did an adequate job of getting there and they did an adequate job of relating to LeBron James. And with all that being said, I would give that movie a 10 out of 10. And the reason I'd give that movie a 10 out of 10 
I'm not a movie snob. I like playing a segment on the DSD pod where Kyle doesn't know movies. I play it with my friends all the time. I just don't know movies. And so I can't analyze movies like I might sports. So you know why this movie was a 10 out of 10? Because yes, it was propaganda. Yes, it was nostalgia. Yes, the soundtrack was fire as hell. And yes, it was very much going for the exact same thing that the original Space Jam was, just with cooler animations, cooler songs, and a cooler, you know, scheme around it. But it's a 10 out of 10 because I couldn't stop smiling the entire movie. That's why it's a 10 out of 10 movie, because I just couldn't stop smiling the entire damn time I was watching the movie. Yes, the plot was adequate. Yes, they did an adequate job of like life lesson getting to LeBron James. It wasn't something like the if if one is the worst and 10 is Pixar movies that make me cry. This did about a three job on the plot line. Like they did an okay job relating to LeBron James and made humanizing LeBron James with his son. Um, I think they call I think his name was Dom in the movie, but it's Bryce in real life. Um and Bronny was kind of a side character and the daughter starts with a Z. I, I don't remember his daughter's name, but they were all um they were all together in that movie. Um even if the main characters were Bryce and LeBron, I know they call him Dom in the movie, but uh, Bryce is the character in the movie. And so they did a good job humanizing LeBron as a dad. Again, they did good. They did adequate. I'll give them that. So it was like a three in terms of a plot line, but we knew what the plot line was. It was Looney Tunes and LeBron James playing against a bunch of monsters and his son for a while in a, in a basketball game. And yeah, I couldn't stop smiling the entire time and couldn't stop dancing to that soundtrack. The soundtrack was excellent for the movie. And so uh, the Ernie Johnson cameo, that one just made me like just huge smile. Uh, they got Ernie Johnson and Lil Rel to do the uh, commentating for the game. And that is an excellent combination that they found there because Ernie Johnson, even though Ernie Johnson's not a great actor, Ernie Johnson sold it just enough as a commentator. So I will give him that. Ernie Johnson sold it just enough in the green screen with Lil Rel to make it actually cool. So uh, I, I will say that that movie is a 10 out of 10 only because it's a nostalgia factor. Is it better than the original Space Jam? Hell yeah, it is. You're damn right it is. That movie was excellent. Now, am I doing this to, to troll? Maybe a little bit. Maybe I'm buying all the way into being young person and talking about 24K Golden and talking about Leon Bridges and talking about Chance the Rapper. Maybe, maybe I'm buying all the way into being Gen Z dude, but was this better than the original? Hell bleeping. Yeah, it was better than the original. I will give it that. Why? It had Damian Lillard and Clay Thompson and Anthony Davis and Neka Ogumake and Diana Taurasi, even though Diana Taurasi is 40 now. I will give them that. They had all those people in the movie as Monstars. It was a video game. It was excellent. Even though I'm not a video game person, I love what they did with the video game style of the movie. It was a great addition. And I acknowledge, of course, it was going to be better than the Space Jam original because it's the same exact movie just with cooler shit and like really good soundtracks. Like, of course it was going to. Now it was uh, the same propaganda machine. Of course, it was propaganda for Warner Brothers. It was propaganda for Nike. It was propaganda for LeBron James, of course. But I came into it with, so, which, with such high expectations that it was gonna be Nike, LeBron, Warner Brothers propaganda that I came out saying, you know what? I set the bar too high. So clap to LeBron James for that. They're going to sell a bunch of merch and a bunch of toys, which please don't buy. Don't buy merch for this movie. Just don't do it. Please don't. Don't buy. I mean, I think they're just LeBron's custom shoes. So maybe you want to buy the new LeBrons, but don't buy the Space Jams. Don't buy the jerseys. Don't buy the toys. It's a last grasp effort for Warner Brothers to save Looney Tunes. And you know what? Hopefully they make a Space Jam 3. 
Maybe it's got LeBron James. Maybe it's got other people. But I hope that they make a Space Jam 3 because I will I will take the nostalgia propaganda tour all day. Now, I acknowledge the problems with nostalgia propaganda tours and the fact that you don't have independent people making movies. But I will say, you do what you got to do. And if that's what that movie's going to be, I'll take more of it because they did an excellent job with Space Jam. So I will say 10 out of 10 movie for only the reason of not the plot line, not the storyline that they tried to create, not humanizing LeBron James, not actually making it interesting basketball. Like the basketball scene only took up like 30 minutes or 40 minutes of the movie, even though it was truly excellent or the fact that it didn't even make sense at the end of the game when when the game was over it didn't even make sense why the 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 um I've, the, what's it called um why the uh what's it called damn it uh the universe that they were in the um serververse that's what it's called the serververse kind of just fell apart didn't even make sense or the the end of sacrifice that wasn't actually sacrifice and even though none of that made any sense. And the plot line was, again, terrible. (laughs) I've gone from adequate to good to terrible. Well, let's just say it. The plot line was not great in the movie. It was not great. But it made me smile for three straight hours up until I went to sleep and got the best sleep I've had in like two weeks. So you know what? 10 out of 10 for Space Jam. Uh, because I am not a movie expert by any stretch of the imagination. But I will take the nostalgia propaganda tour all day, every day. Let's go, Space Jam. And listen to the Space Jam soundtrack, because they got an excellent soundtrack out of that movie. I will give them that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Follow, download, and leave that five-star review as we leave you with the musical stylings of John Legend and Chance the Rapper here on the Take It Easy podcast. Go watch Space Jam, people. I didn't do any spoilers of the plotline, even though it's, it's Space Jam. How many spoilers do you actually need? 10 out of 10 movie, people. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.